Hello and welcome to Series 3 of the Leading Through Uncertainty podcast. I'm Jude Jennison, founder of Leaders by Nature and host of this podcast, and I'm the author of the book Leading Through Uncertainty. In this series, I ask leaders to share their stories of uncertainty, the challenges they've faced and overcome, and what we can learn from their experiences. Manny Hare is a client relationship manager at Falcon Insurance and a regular blogger at Manny's Madness. She talks openly about losing her job, how it impacted her self-esteem and how she restarted her career again a decade later. As part of restarting her career, she moved from her hometown of Scunthorpe to Birmingham. She explains how challenging it was to uproot her whole life to a new city, the loneliness she experienced recovering from a house fire, owning a new home, having panic attacks and what it is to be an Asian woman in Birmingham. Lots to listen to here. Hi Manny, thanks for joining me today. Uh, no, thanks for having me on, Jude. I'm, I'm honoured that you wanted me. <laughs> oh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to have you. I can't wait to hear your story and hear a bit about you. So for the benefit of the listeners, can you tell us who you are and what you do? Okay, so my name is Manny Hare. I'm a client relationship manager at Falcon Insurance, who I'm an insurance broker um, based in the jewellery quarter. In a nutshell is what we do, insurance. It's okay. not very exciting or sexy, <laughs> but we try to help our clients and we're very good at what we do, so that's yeah. that's what we can go that's on. That's the important thing. <laughs> exactly. But you're also a blogger, aren't you? I am a blogger, yeah. yes. Manny's Madness. Manny's Madness. <laughs> and okay. as the conversation goes on, people will understand why I picked that name. <laughs> okay, so we'll hold people in, in the <laughs> uncertainty of not knowing why. So, exactly. But so before we go there then, what's your experience of uncertainty? Um, uncertainty in the workplace, like the... Um, when I knew we were covering this sort of particular topic and I think the first thing that sprang to mind was losing my job after six and a half years um, it was 2011 oh can't remember how old I would have been it was late 20s early 30s around that time and I was comfortable I did my job well I knew our clients I knew our customers and you know when you can just do it mm-hmm. and you you almost see a career path for yourself and you have it all mapped out in your head and then you've got through the recession and you're still doing well and all of a sudden they decide to close your office down and just centralise it all. So the whole office went? Yeah, yeah. the whole office went. Um, and you didn't see that coming? Not no. at all, not at all. No. And it was just such, I think that was my first experience of something that uncertain. I, mm. I was lucky enough that I was obviously living at home with my parents, so in terms of finances I didn't have any outgoings, um, so I was, I was kind of secure and there would be a bit of a payout for everybody. Um, and I guess the the women who I w- was working with, um, who had obviously mortgages and they they contributed to household bills and they had kids, I guess for them it was a much bigger factor. Mm-hmm. Some of them worked part time, so this was then a massive shock to them. There were some single mothers, um, so yeah, I think for me I was kind of lucky in terms of um, being financially secure and like you know I didn't have any outgoings but it was a massive shock especially in terms of career as well well yeah I guess it's a massive blow isn't it because yeah, there you are you... at the height of your career you think you're going places yeah. you've got your career plan yeah, mapped out, out and, then and then suddenly bang it's all taken away and that's com- a blow isn't yeah, it yeah completely it's out of your control and you almost then have to reassess what you want to do now this is 2011 um, I'm originally from Scunthorpe so it's a grey steel town up north in one of the poorest areas of the country and I had to make I did not want to be on the dollar on benefits um it was just depressing and I was one of those people that had to work because that's how my parents raised me they're immigrant parents that's just in my blood and I was just like right well I guess I'll just have to go for whatever job I can get at this point because nowhere 
is offering the kind of salary that I was on. Mm -hmm. So I ended up on a really decent salary, going back to 14 grand a year, and I felt like I was 19 again. Mm. Um, and I guess for the benefit of your listeners, I'm a lot older than I sound. <laughs> so I'm 37 nearly, so hence, you know, I guess at 19, 14 grand a year is great, you feel rich. And then to go, like, and then have to scale down was mm. massive, massive shock. And it impacts your self-esteem in a way that you can't really describe, mm -hmm. you know, having that, having built up a career and doing really, really well to then having to start again. To start and, again, yeah. And, and almost like a decade on, like, you know, if you're working for seven, eight years mm. to, to get to that position to then start again. And that mm. was demoralizing. That I'm not going to lie, that took years to get, to almost get out of my system. Even when I then went on to better jobs, like better salary, you're almost mm -hmm. doubting your ability at this point because you think what they're paying is obviously all your worth. And you're not, regardless of what you've done in the past and how successful you've been, it's almost like you're judging it on that. That experience, that experience counts nothing. Absolutely. Counts nothing, no. yeah. So how do, you, how do you pick yourself up from that? Um, I guess my stubbornness comes in handy every so often. Well, that's a great, tra a great trait to have in leadership sometimes, isn't it? I yeah, think definitely. It is. I think sometimes we need that resilience, don't yeah. we? Yeah, and that was the other word I was going to use is resilience. Is And I don't know if this is a, a female thing, because I know when we met at that um, talk about women, there was a lady who was talking about resilience, and that as women, you kind of just get on with it. Mm -hmm. And I've been called resilient. I've gone through a lot in terms of like my personal life and what I've had to endure. And I think it's just, well, you have no other option but to carry on, and, it does, and you kind of almost just work your way through it. Mm. Um, and it's not something I can pinpoint. It's not a word I can use to describe. Maybe resilience is the best word, but you can almost just carry on. And then eventually things just start to get easier and fit into place because you've just sort of muddled through whatever mm -hmm. it was at the time. And I think the biggest, maybe actually the second biggest uncertainty I felt was moving to Birmingham away from the comfort of my, my very small bubble of a town. Um, so did you move to Birmingham to, to get your new job? Then? Yeah, yeah, so I moved to Birmingham because, again, I am a writer, so I write about being a South Asian woman. I wrote about the fact that I had an arranged marriage. And um, I, write, I write very funny, honest posts. And I write very emotive posts, just depending on the topic. Um, and then I think, so that was the reason I moved, because it got picked up by a magazine, and I, I did a bit of writing for them to the chamber for a little while um and that really helped boost my confidence so, so that's in birmingham that's in birmingham as well commerce, yeah. yeah and now i'm at falcon so i've had a bit of a journey in the two two and a bit years i've been here mm. and i think the most uncertain was the transition from the magazine to the chamber because i wasn't sure if i was going to get the job at the chamber i'd obviously just applied for it and there was an interim where i was unemployed and i obviously had to pay rent and i was it was really demoralising not having your family and your support network around. Because mm -hmm. your family, was, presumably, they're still they're in still, Scunthorpe. Yeah. yeah, and so my parents are in Scunthorpe, my siblings are scattered, my family's here, there and everywhere, really. Um, but yeah, having that comfort and knowing mm. that there is bills that you have to pay and, mm. and that kind of thing. But it's almost like, well, I've only, at that point, I'd only been in Birmingham three months and I thought, I can't, I, I uprooted my whole life to come here. I'm not going to go back after three months because that's just not an option. So there's your stubbornness again. <laughs> that's my you? stubbornness yeah. again, absolutely. And yeah. I think maybe that is the, the driving force of me, yeah. is that I'm completely stubborn. Um, well, it's a, I mean, it's a bold move, isn't it, to move from from one place like Scunthorpe to, yeah. to come to the city of Birmingham when mm. you... You don't know, presumably didn't know anybody in the area. Or um, I have people. family here. You have, um, oh, you have some family. Typical Asian person. <laughs> so I was actually born here. My parents moved when I was oh, born. Okay. So I have been coming my whole life. So Birmingham to me feels 
like a safe choice almost in terms right. of moving, but it's still scary doing everything by yourself. So I have an old auntie here and there and obviously cousins scattered everywhere, but they're not, they weren't part of my daily life. So mm -hmm. to then move here, I don't, I think we forget that I'm in Birmingham, if that makes sense, because I, for 30 odd years I was in Scunthorpe. So trying to remember that they're on my doorstep is, I'm like, oh right, yeah, I've got an auntie who lives like 10 minutes away to go visit her. And, and that's almost like a, a conscious thought because subconsciously I forget because mm -hmm. you know, I'm trying to build my own life here yeah. and I don't want to rely too heavily on family because I could have lived with them but then mm. I thought well that defeats the object mm. of moving out of my parents yeah um so move so moving from Scunthorpe to Birmingham that's mm. you know that's pretty uncertain as well how is yeah. that do you know what it was I've been here two and a bit years and I'm still adjusting it's been hard it's been fun it's been um it's been overwhelming um and like I'm clearly very good at what I do in terms of networking, connecting with people, connecting people to other people. And it's a gift I didn't realize I had. Um, I can talk for England. <laughs> so maybe that's why I've always been really good at account management and connect and connecting with people has always been a, a thing for me. And it's just, I think it's skyrocketed being in Birmingham, but it is a very lonely process. And there was a period in my life where I was like, well, my work life and my home life are kind of merging and then when, once you realize that the two are actually genuinely separated and that the people that you're networking with aren't necessarily your friends they're your acquaintances they're your business contacts i think that's when i guess loneliness hits it's been it's been an incredibly incredibly lonely journey and just when you think you're making progress boom something happens that kind of almost makes you take several steps backwards mm. so um, what's been what's been hard and, and overwhelming about being in birmingham I think the biggest thing was um, having to buy my own house mm -hmm. because almost this time last year, um, the house I was renting had a fire. I was in India at the time, oh, had a fire. Crikey. So I moved back, I, I came back to England. I had to quickly get some stuff for work for the, the three days I was back at work that week. And I had to move out on the weekend because it was just completely gone. Smoke damage everywhere. Luckily my, my stuff was, was safe and secure because I'd, I'd kept my door shut and locked. But I was technically, I guess, homeless for four months and I was sofa surfing. Wow. And then I got the keys to my house in March this year, which has been a relief. But, you know, once everything's calmed down, that's when you reflect on everything that's just happened. Because mm. at the time, you just have to go through the motions. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, the, been the height of my anxiety. And I've been having panic attacks and dealing with being a homeowner by yourself is nobody really prepares you for it. Mm. And... Um, the book stops with you, doesn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah. And this is why I'm like, well, I guess going on to another thing that's quite important is as a woman, you don't earn as much as a guy does. And that's just standard. And as an Asian woman, I know there are statistics for, you know, ethnic minorities earning less. And I think it, it dawned on me that I, ought, I actually need to be doing successful for myself, being successful for myself, because I have to almost have a two-person income so I'm comfortable mm -hmm. and I'm not struggling if something breaks down or x y and z happens I have the the resources to yeah, do because that because the mortgage and the bills don't change just because Absolutely. there's one of you yeah they? no because yeah. it's almost I mean what you get 25% off your council tax for who they don't give you 25% off everything and mm. it's almost like why aren't you getting 50% <laughs> you know mm. and and it's all these like harsh hitting realities and I think up until this point I've been very comfortable in terms of finances and mm that is a massive cause of stress and not just when you're single i know people who are in couples who are married and when it comes to finances it's just a massive source of stress in mm. everyone's lives mm. it's got a lot better now i feel much more secure in that department but it's taken that then had a massive impact on how i worked on how 
I dealt with things as well and I would react differently um, to certain situations because I was constantly thinking about oh my god what happens if I'm ever sick or this happens what happens if my car breaks down I can't mm -hmm. afford it and mm. So how do you keep all of that in balance? Because, you know, I think what the the worries you're talking about are normal worries that most Everyone people has, will, yeah. will have and resonate with. Mm. And how, how do you keep them in check? How do you I think, stay sane? <laughs> that is a very good question. Now, if you ask my friends and family, they're probably going to say I'm not sane. <laughs> but I think, I think what I've learned the harsh way in, in the last couple of months is that I had a life before I moved here and that life is still there, even if it's, a couple of hundred miles down the road my best friends are still there if I need them so what I've just learned to do is just be better at talking to the people that actually care mm. and not mm. allowing distance to be a factor and it doesn't matter if they're not local like my family my friends the life I had before is still there mm. um but and it's got... not that far away in no, the grand scheme absolutely. of things it might feel like a million miles yeah at times exactly but, yeah. it's still in the same country it's still only a couple hundred like it's maybe a hundred miles down the road mm. um the way I drive <laughs> it doesn't take that long together <laughs> um but yeah and no, I guess moving to Birmingham has also opened up my eyes um culturally um I think I was saying before we started is that I've almost always worked with women so you never really think about how much you're being paid you're just like oh I'm fine I can afford to go on my holiday I can afford to buy this that and the other and then you start to work in a city that's so diverse and so culturally diverse. Because Birmingham's, um, it's, is it the, the most diverse city in the UK, I think, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. And, um, the, and the youngest city in Europe. Yeah, the youngest city in Europe. And the, the, the massive culture shock for me was like when I went to pick up my keys from when I when I moved from the estate agents there on Smethwick High Street. I'm speaking to my mum in Punjabi to tell her I've got here safe. And then I'm like, I look around, I'm like, oh my God, like probably 50% of the population knows how to speak Punjabi. And that was a culture shock, knowing that half, you know, a lot of people here were going to know that language or they're speaking other languages. And... Oh, so, so, so uh, that's really fascinating. So you've shifted from Scunthorpe, which I'm guessing is, you know, it's a northern yeah, Yorkshire it's... town, yeah. probably white working class mostly. Yeah, mostly. There is a mix of like Eastern Europeans, Pakistanis, Bengalis, Indians. Yeah. So you do have those little communities. But, but... now you're, you've moved into an area where... Actually, you're surrounded by people who yeah. look like you and speak like yeah. you. and Massive culture shock, especially since none of my friends are Asian. Like, my bestest friends are people I grow up with. And then to come here and be surrounded by Asians, by non-Asians, and by the black community, gay community, and it's just like... And I've travelled a lot. I went to London a lot. I've travelled the world. So it's not like I'm not open-minded, but I think no. when you're actually moving and living in a city this diverse, it does open your eyes up more so than if you were visiting mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't matter how open-minded you are there's something about living in that little pot of ethnic like you know that bubble <laughs> of ethnicities and diversity um, and I didn't realize how passionate I was about it until I moved here and um, never thought of myself as a brown woman I was just I was just Mandeep I was just Manny I was just the weird tall one from the north uh, you know just being myself and then having written so openly about certain elements of my life and being Asian, it dawned on me that a lot of women and even men will resonate with what I'm writing about or talking about. And so tell us a bit more about what, what are you talking about on your... So on my blog, Manny's Madness, um, I've written about... I've written silly things like what my white friends say to me because I'm brown. Like there are certain stereotypes. Oh, I have I had a date with a guy. Oh, you're going to get married next. <laughs> and it's almost like these preconceived ideas of what it's like to be an Asian woman. Um... 
they'll ask me what to order at an Indian restaurant and I'm like I don't know <laughs> like, I don't, like I don't know what this stuff is like, yeah. <laughs> this is not what I eat at home so so some of my stuff is quite observational humor um and then a couple of years ago maybe three years ago I think I wrote about my arranged marriage and I was quite candid and open about it for the first time and it's the first time I wrote about it publicly um in recent times I've written about my dating life my experiences living in Birmingham how lonely it is and actually being lonely in your 30s and as a single woman is not just me there's so many people who feel this way like mm-hmm. I feel like loneliness is like an epidemic that people don't really mm-hmm. talk about and it's regardless of whether you're single in a relationship you know you're a mom you you're a dad or whatever there's an element of you that isn't able to express mm. how... well I was I was reading somewhere recently um I forget the name of the book but it was saying that we have a uh, only 5% of the human-to-human interactions that we used to have 30 years ago. And that our our online interactions, whilst there can be connection and Mm. and empathy, it's six times weaker than when it's face-to-face. Absolutely. So it's no wonder if we're only having 5% of the human-to-human interaction, it's no wonder that there's an epidemic of loneliness and and a lack of human connection. Yeah, and I wrote this, my latest blog was writing exactly about that. I mean, I didn't know about that statistic, and I wrote this blog just after having um, come out of the other end of the flu. Um, I, I got really sick a couple of weeks ago, and it dawned on me that no one checked in on me. On, wow. They did on WhatsApp, they did online, but no one just popped round. And it's regardless of whether I'm sick or not, no one just pops round anymore. Mm. No one just comes in to see if you're home. Mm. And it's... And I, and I realised that actually that's not just when you're sick, that's even when you're healthy, like even when you're living day to day and you've got no plans and you almost have to check in and make appointments with people, the, we've lost that element of just, oh, I'm thinking about you, I'm just going to come around, see if you're free for half an hour, an hour. And, and if you're not, that's cup. fine, I'll go yeah, away I'll just again. Go home. Yeah. yeah, and we've lost that element. Do you think Do you think that's because when it's really easy to, like, to you know, WhatsApp or text or whatever the message, messenger, whatever mm. it is, it's easy to ping somebody in yeah. some way and say, are you, are you free for a call? I mean, we yeah. don't even pick up the phone. No, we ask and, Unless we ask, you know, it's, <laughs> and, it, and it becomes almost like, oh, well, I, I mustn't disturb them and I must yeah. be polite. But actually, um, you can choose to answer the phone or not, Absolutely. can't you? Absolutely, yeah, you could. <laughs> and it's the, same with, it's the same with turning up at someone's house. Yeah. You just would rarely do it now yeah. without pinging them first and saying... And now when I get calls, and I, I miss it if I'm in the shower, or I'm doing something or I'm busy, and I get a call and I'll ring the back and it's almost like they've thought about you enough to ring and want to chat and it means something. So I don't mind picking up the phone mm. to ring them back. Mm. Um, I have to say I'm the worst. Like, I get... There's some times where I just need alone time because I do so much because um, I'm a trustee of a charity and I'm doing all these other little projects on the side. So sometimes I do need alone time. So when people ring me, I'm less like, I'm not going to answer in my evening because I'm exhausted and I just need that time to unwind mm-hmm. um, from a crazy day or a week. So I've actually changed my WhatsApp status to only ring me if it's urgent because I'm not taking any other calls, mm-hmm. which is terrible, I know. But I do miss the element of just popping around to see people. Yeah. Um, so can we, can we go back to yeah. you coming to Birmingham and being, because I'm really fascinated by the idea of you being in a majority probably for the first time in your mm. life yeah and how that how that is a culture shock yeah tell, tell me more about that because 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 I, I can totally wrap my head around intellectually around the other way you yeah. know you, you're being a minority mm. um but actually to suddenly go from being a minority all your life to being yeah 
in a majority. Tell, tell me about that. It's so bizarre. And I, I always felt like an outsider every time I came to the Midlands to um, visit family. I didn't talk like them. I've got a northern accent. I didn't think like them because I didn't grow up in this bubble of Asian culture. Like, I had a strict upbringing, don't get me wrong, but I always questioned it. I always fought back. I always said, well, why should girls do this and boys don't do this? I was always questioning everything. And when I came to Birmingham, I didn't look like everyone else. One, I was a lot taller. You guys can't see, but I've got naturally wild, curly hair. Everyone else looked exactly the same. They all spoke the same. They had the same ideas. All they wanted to do was get married and have kids. And I thought, I want more for my life. Like, I shouldn't be primed just for marriage, which is obviously what did eventually happen. And, and that has its own story. But to then come and, and, and be in that group of people... I still feel like an outsider because I still think differently. I still question things. But it's also nice because I almost feel some of my Asian friends that I have made, they they do engage with me and they do interact with me. And I can I can flip between one language and another because sometimes I forget the English word for things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there are certain phrases or there are certain things that don't translate well yeah. from Punjabi into English. And if you want to make a joke, you can do it in a, in one language and it just... It's it doesn't work much, in the other. And it doesn't work no. in the other. So sometimes... No, I, I did a French degree, so I totally get that. Yeah. <laughs> and there's certain things that do get lost in translation. So yeah. I have friends now who are Asian and will banter about Asian things. And I kind of like that. I kind of like the fact that I'm now feeling involved in my own community. Mm. And that's quite nice. Yeah. So does that give you more of a sense of belonging, do you think? Yeah, I definitely think so. Yeah. Um, Like, I've always kind of known who I was as a person anyway. But I feel at this point, I'm no longer suppressing the Asian side to me, if that makes sense. Because I was never my whole self. Mm-hmm. And and the, the talks that I go to, the conferences, the events, where a lot of people talk about this. And I think I've learned a lot through the the networking events. Not just the amazing people that I've met but also the actual topics and the speakers. And I realise no one ever brings their whole self to work if you're an ethnic minority. You almost have to suppress the Asian in you to just fit in with everyone else, which is what I did my whole school life. Oh, okay. So so say say more about that then, because that yeah. you know, that that's clearly your experience. Yeah, so, so for instance, like um there are certain things that are said or done in the workplace by say my white colleagues. You don't have to be men, it could be women. And it triggers something in me because they don't understand that actually what you said, um, I was bullied at school uh, because, you know, I was, I was one of the few Asian kids and I, I wasn't very pretty and I looked like a boy and you just get bullied for anything that is different. And they'll say things that trigger certain things in me. So I react in a way that they don't understand. And instead of trying to understand what my point of view, it's almost like, oh, Manny's overreacting, or she's so emotional, or she's this, that, and the other, as opposed to trying to understand where I'm coming from. Because right. my upbringing would have been different, the fact that I had an arranged marriage, and all these other cultural barriers that they're not going to understand because they don't... They, they one they weren't raised that way. And two, they're almost not opening themselves up. And we can't and we can't understand somebody else's shoes, can we? Until no. we until we walk yeah. in them. So and it works both ways. Like I'm yeah, of course, very open to learn about other cultures and 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 people and the way they were raised. And there were certain similarities, but there were a lot of differences, and that's great too. But yeah, I think at work and especially in Birmingham, people will say things or do things that I don't agree with, and I've never been more vocal about. I've always been a bit of a wallflower, I think historically, and I've I kind of just kept that part of me hidden but being surrounded by such culture and being able to just be myself not just the English version of me but the Asian because I have two identities I'm a British Asian like mm-hmm. I, I identify with both mm-hmm. and I don't feel like one should be suppressed and the other shouldn't Absolutely. because of yeah. 
you know, because pe- other people might find it uncomfortable. Mm. So if I make a remark because I don't agree with what you said and it comes across as slightly sexist or you like, oh, you're only saying that because if we said it, we'd be coming across racist. I'm, that's not a racist comment that I've made. That's observation. Mm. And sometimes it's observation about my own culture. It's also observation about men and how a lot of the time it doesn't matter what culture they come from. The men are just the way they are. Um, so I'll try and make banter and light of it. But yeah, it's when you're trying to articulate how you feel, it would be nice if people took the time to really understand um, what impact that has on you, the triggers that it has and, and that kind of thing and be a bit more mindful, I think. I think I think you touch on on such an important point because, you know, as, as we work, well, I'm just thinking in Birmingham particularly, mm. you know, one of the most diverse cities, um, do you think because of that is more difficult because there are more cultures trying to yeah. to muddle along together and and actually none of us understand each other <laughs> True. and ultimately we are all human beings trying mm. to muddle our own way through our lives yeah. but but we are going to misunderstand each other along the way yeah. um, i think that happens even in your own culture doesn't of course it, like it does under, it, it, mis- yeah. misunderstandings occur but i think it's almost the follow-up like you know if it has occurred then how are you going to rectify it yeah how are you going to make yourself how are you going to improve as a human being to understand someone else's mm, point of view because mm. a lot of times you almost get shut down if you're from a different ethnic minority and it's not just me I've known it from other ethnicities as well is that they they do suppress certain elements to themselves because just they just learn in. to fit in yeah, yeah absolutely which is which has its own set of problems as well well and it does you know and I mean I I um my career started in IBM so and I was one of a handful of women in yeah. an office full of men yeah. so you know I learned to conform to mm. what I thought was the working environment exactly um, <sighs> without realizing that it was a male working environment I just assumed all working environments were like that yeah. because it's all I knew and, <laughs> and in a way I think you know it's very easy to su- su- to suppress and to start to conform mm. when that's the when that's the norm and maybe it's yeah. it's only when we move you know, from Scunthorpe to Birmingham or yeah. we move job or when something else changes that we realise actually yeah. we were putting up with things that didn't sit well with our values. Exactly. And so how, how, do we, how do we move forward on that? Because, you know, I'm just, I'm very aware at the moment that, you know, technology is driving massive change. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got cultural change with, you know, and it's actually quite tricky, isn't it? Yeah. To to live and work today, <laughs> it really is. Like how, what, what's your advice to people in in how we move forward so we don't just get groupthink or and we don't yeah. suppress people? And I think my biggest factor has always been to communicate on a human level, mm. not via email, not by messenger because it gets lost oh, again. That has it gets, its own set of problems. Yeah. Again, it gets lost in translation, right? Like if I'm in a bad mood and you've sent me a funny message or you've you've just sent a normal message, I'm going to read it in an angry way and I'll react angrily or I'll, I'll react upset because it's based on how I'm feeling emotionally when you at the receive time. It. Absolutely. Yeah. It's got nothing to do with the sender. It's about how Whereas you when you're face it. to face, you know that somebody's angry yeah. and you might just say, this is not the time to give them this feedback yes. or to say this Absolutely. or to tell them this piece you of information. You pick up on those human clues and we're losing that, I think. Yeah. Um, and my advice, like, to be fair, even I write this in my blog as well for Asian women who are going through a lot of difficulties. Like, we need to learn to talk. We need to learn to talk to our parents without yelling at them and vice versa. And parents need to understand children. And I think it's the same at work. Mm. I get that, say, for instance, if you work in a big organisation, yes, and you're part of a team, everyone's objective is the same. But you also have to understand if you have 10 people on your team, they're salespeople, yes, they have objectives, but some are going to work better 
another way because of how they were raised, their mm. background, not just working, but personal as well. And it's almost well, allowing even, people even to the, play to their strengths. Yeah, regardless well, even of the basics of introversion versus extroversion yes, absolutely. is, you know, everybody can, can understand that. Yeah. Um, and maybe we understand that better. Yeah. Um, but and actually, the subtle nuances absolutely. then of cultural differences <laughs> and and just differences based on, you know, whether it's race, gender, sexuality, yeah. whatever it is, or even just, you know, I grew up in a town down the road that yeah. thought like this. Absolutely. And we don't realise... views, anything yeah, like that, yeah. And we don't realise how we are shaped by those, yeah. our belief systems. Yeah that are, are ingrained from, based on where we live, based yeah. on how we're brought up. And our val- you mentioned the word values, and that's so key as well. And if your values aren't quite met in an organisation, you almost feel quite prickly. Mm. And, and I think, and that's not a cultural thing, I think that's just your values as a human. Mm. And you could... You can get on board with the values of a company, but if you don't agree with the way they're moving forward with it because it doesn't align with your own personal values, it's much, much harder to get behind them. Mm. And this is what I mean. Like If you're a manager, if you're in a position of power, understand your staff. Don't try and get them to conform to be the person that you want to be because you think a certain way. And I get that in, in Birmingham it's very results-driven, it's very you know um, numbers-driven, but people will get there in different ways and it's mm. allowing them slight freedom to be able to do it in their own unique way. Because mm. like you say, some people are, yes, I am I need a target because I'm very target driven. I can hit those targets. Where other people's are more about the longevity and it's almost finding a fit for both. Well, and both are needed. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I work with a, with a herd of horses and when <laughs> my clients work with the horses, what yeah. they realise quite quickly is that you have to be results driven because you have to be clear where you're where you're asking Absolutely. the horse to go or else why would they move yeah. so you have to be focused on the result yeah. and you have to do it with a relationship Absolutely. and the two have to be completely i always say it's like a knife edge yes. of bingo there there in lies <laughs> your leadership where you get that balance between results and relationships yeah. and it's it's not easy but it's then not. you add in you know cultural differences as well um but what i'm hearing overriding is to to really embrace difference and to be curious and to understand absolutely and to seek to understand yeah definitely like this year i mean i think for me the panic attacks i'm taking steps to, to to better myself for myself um like i'm very open about the fact that i'm taking therapy which again we as a as a British culture don't do enough of because I know in the US everyone has a therapist like they have a doctor or, mm-hmm. or whatever else and it's not it's not a British thing but it's even less so an Asian thing so imagine being both of those right. okay. <laughs> so I'm very vocal about it I take therapy to help with the way I react to certain situations because it could be something that happened way back when and it it shapes the way I deal with work mm-hmm. life and mm-hmm. personal life and etc mm-hmm. so I'm making steps to to deal with that but if I've told my manager I'm doing therapy to help me better myself then I expect some support from them if I've opened up to them mm-hmm. and if that trust and that support is broken then I no longer wish to be part of this culture or whatever mm-hmm. and I will move on and I think that's I think it's really important isn't it is, is that when you have the humility and the vulnerability to speak out and be open mm-hmm. you need to be met in that absolutely and not yeah. and not just dismissed or overlooked yeah. or you actually need the support I yeah. think I think when people reach out for help, it's often a last resort. And, yeah. And then we really need to pay attention and give yeah. the support, don't we? And it, and I and I've been to a lot of like mental health um, workshops and and talks and, and things like this. And I think that is very key. It's just mm. allow your employees like it's not a permanent thing. 
Like mm. they're not going to drain your resources for years to come, but if they can fix what's bothering them now in the next few months, all it's going to do is make them better mm. and work harder for you. Mm. Um, but again, I always I always say this about everything, that like communication is key. Mm. And I wish I had grown up for the first 24 years of my life talking to my parents as opposed to always having screaming matches with them. <laughs> well, I think hindsight's a wonderful it thing, is, isn't yes. it? I mean, you know, everything, everything, everything is so much easier in hindsight. Yeah. So what's your what, what would your final tip be to anybody listening who... Um, who maybe has got mental health issues or maybe is struggling mm. at, at work for whatever reason, what would your tip be? I think don't be afraid to talk. And I know how hard that is because I'm I'm so chatty about so many things. But when it comes to myself, I will shy away. And I would say find what works best for you. It doesn't have to be therapy. It could be talking to a family member. It could be talking to a friend or... It could be going out, it could be connecting with nature, but it's almost like know what works best for you as a person because everyone is different mm-hmm. and don't allow it to seep too much into your into your work life because then that's much, much harder to sort of crawl your way mm-hmm. out of. Yeah. And if something isn't working for you, know that it's not the end of the world in terms of career or in terms of work. If you think work is your biggest stress, get rid of the work yeah. find something else yeah you know and I've I've left work because I was unhappy and it, they were causing me stress and I thought you know what my well-being is I think it's a um it's not something I would have done in my 20s but as you get older you think actually my well-being is more important mm-hmm. if I'm at work for a couple of months and that's fine mm-hmm. I don't mind I will and I, I need to leave for my sanity and I would say don't don't get too bogged down by by work life or by life in general. If something is not working for you, get rid. <laughs> get rid and move on absolutely, to something that is. Yeah. yeah. And, and be open about where you're at. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Money, it's been <laughs> fascinating to talk to you. I reckon we could talk all day. So I think uh, we could. <laughs> but thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Well, we certainly covered a lot there, didn't we? What struck me about Manny as I spoke to her is how courageous and resilient she is. She's overcome so much and has such a positive outlook on her future. I was especially fascinated that Manny found it a culture shock to be surrounded by the Asian community in Birmingham when she was used to living in a white working class northern town. It's interesting, isn't it, that trying to fit into a majority culture is just as difficult as trying to find a sense of belonging as a minority. In the end, it's about trusting that who we are is enough and embracing our differences and accepting ourselves and each other. Manny advocates the importance of curiosity and communication, human being to human being. My wish for 2020 is that we do more of that. That's it for this week. I was your host, Jude Jennison, and I hope you were as inspired as I was. Keep leading and come back soon for the next interview on Leading Through Uncertainty. Mm-hmm.